Luke chapter 9, the author of the gospel, Luke, has been giving evidence that Jesus Christ was indeed the Messiah. Very important for the reader. About a month ago, we read in Luke 7 that John the Baptist, while imprisoned to King Herod, he sent messages to Jesus in, in what seems to be a crisis of faith. And he asked Jesus, are you the one who's to come or should we expect someone else? Are you him or do we expect someone else? Hard times came upon John. He was imprisoned. He was doing all the right things. And he began to question, are you truly the Christ? And the reason why Luke puts that in there is because he's building the, the case that Jesus is the Messiah. He's speaking to this guy named Theophilus. And so basically Jesus told John, look what I'm doing. I'm demonstrating power and authority that was prophesied in the Old Testament concerning the Messiah. I'm him. If you read your Bible and you see what I'm doing, put the two together. Trust me, that is who I am, according to the Scriptures. And so Luke has been painting this picture of Jesus' power and authority to his readers. Jesus' power and authority over and over and over again. That word power and authority, power and authority keeps popping up. And Theophilus, this guy he's writing to, beloved of God, is the name of that guy's uh, name, was so that he would know without a doubt that which he has been taught concerning Jesus. And so in chapter 4, by way of review, real quickly, Jesus has the power over temptation. He has authority over an impure spirit in chapter 4. He healed various kinds of sickness, it says, and he healed them all, it says in verse 40, and he cast out demons. Chapter 5, Jesus cleanses a leper. So Jesus has authority to make people clean. It wasn't just about healing his skin. It was about reintroducing them back into worship before God. Spiritually, then, he gives forgiveness, and he heals a paralyzed man, if you remember that. Jesus has the authority and the power to forgive sin and to heal. In chapter 6, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, which has tons of, uh, of ramifications within uh, the Old Covenant. In chapter 7, the centurion, the Gentile centurion, recognized Jesus' authority from afar. And while Jesus was kind of close by, he sent a servant to him and said, you know, hey, I, I recognize that you have authority. I am a man under authority. Just say your word, say whatever, whatever it is, and it will happen. I recognize your authority. And Jesus says, man, I haven't found all, any kind of faith like this in all of Israel. It came from a Gentile. And so Jesus has authority over healing from afar and from close when he laid hands on him. It doesn't make a difference where he is. And then we see later in that part of chapter 7 that Jesus raised the widow's son from the dead. Jesus has a power power and authority over death. And again, he forgives the many sins of the sinful woman who wept at his feet. How many sins do you have this morning piled up in your heart, overwhelmed, over, over? just huge, and could could God ever forgive? Jesus has authority and power and is willing to cleanse and forgive all. Isn't that great? That's Jesus. Later, chapter 8, well, actually in chapter 8, Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves, and he calms the storm. Jesus has power and authority over nature. Later in chapter 8, Jesus casts out multitudes of demons out of a man. The demons identify themselves as legion. They ran off into thousands, a couple thousand pigs, So a man who was oppressed by overwhelming satanic force within 
to where he was cutting himself, running around in the wilderness naked, going out of his mind, breaking chains when people tried to bind him. Jesus, at a word, speaks and casts that power out of him. Jesus has power and authority over Satan and his kingdom. Amen? And then Jesus raises Jairus, uh, Jairus' daughter, his 12-year-old daughter, from, from the dead. And he heals the woman who had been hemorrhaging, as John taught, for, for 12 years last week. And so the Holy Spirit through Luke is, is testifying of the power and the authority that Jesus had over all things. That Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one, the one who had authority over sin and the devil and the power of death. Jesus was indeed God in the flesh. Who else could do this? Nicodemus came at night and said, we know that you come from God because no one else can do what you're doing. We see the scriptures. We see the power of God manifest in you. Are you him? Because we want to get this right. At least Nicodemus did. Jesus is God in the flesh. In the same name, in the name Jesus, Joshua in English, means Jehovah saves. God saves. Isn't that the greatest? That God's name, the name that he chose to represent himself to humanity, to us, to his enemies, is that God saves. That's our Jesus. He saves us from what? Not only from eternal hellfire and judgment by offering himself as a sacrifice on our, on our behalf, but look at all the things he has authority over to save us from and out of. How many of you have been saved from incredibly horrible circumstances in your life and God is saving you out of those things? He has power and authority. Not only to forgive, but he has the power and authority over the penalty of sin, which is death. That is why we die, because the soul that sins dies. That is the penalty. Not only that, it's eternal separation from God, the Bible teaches. But Hebrews chapter 2, 14-15 says of Jesus, inasmuch as the children have partaken of the flesh and blood, that means those who have called upon the Lord, or those who are His, inasmuch as then of the children of God have taken on flesh and blood, He Himself likewise shared in the same He put on flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You see, the soul that is caught in sin fears judgment. They fear death because they know within their heart of hearts God has implanted it that there awaits a day of reckoning. And Jesus has come to remove the fear of death, the sting of death. Oh, death, where is your sting? Who can separate us from the love of God? If while we were enemies of God, God sent Jesus Christ to die for us, how much now more that we are His that He will love us and take us home, paraphrasing. Amen? And so Jesus alone has the power to forgive sins and to remove the penalty of death and fear of judgment and our bondage to it all, and in place, he gives us peace with God because he died in the place of sinners that they might go free, that we might go free. And if you're in that bondage of sin this morning, you have that fear of death and judgment, look to Jesus. 
the one who has the power and the authority to save you as you choose to turn from your sin and turn towards God by believing Jesus Christ as your Savior who paid your penalty on the cross willingly and lovingly. And so Luke has been painting this rich picture of the power and authority of Jesus in the first view, for first several chapters of, of, um, of Luke. Now, in chapter 9, there's a big shift. And the reason why I'm emphasizing that is because Jesus is 1.5 years into his ministry, give or, give or take, and Jesus is going to make a big change. It says in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 9, it says, When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them what? Power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And then he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Jesus is at his halfway point in his ministry, his three-year ministry. And and he's preparing to leave the area of Galilee in the north, and he's going to go back down to the south, which is where Jerusalem is, which is where basically he's going to spend the last part of his Judea, is the area, and he's going to spend the last part of his years ministering there, and he will eventually end up in Jerusalem and be crucified and rejected, as all prophets were in Jerusalem. And the 12 disciples, now called apostles, meaning sent ones, were chosen to carry on Jesus' ministry after his death. And up <clears throat> until this point, the disciples, John MacArthur says, had been hearers and learners, and now they were going to transition to become preachers and messengers. They were hearers and learners up until this point, and now they were going to become preachers and messengers. Boy, there's a message in that for us, is there not? There's a time where we are to be hearers and learners of Jesus Christ, but there also is a time when he wants to transition us into uh, messengers and send us out into the world that he saved us from, to be preachers of the gospel, declares, her- heralds, that's what that word preacher means, it means to stand before, come before a king uh, and declare his message to people. And verse 1 says that Jesus called them and he gave them power and authority. And then verse 2 says that he sent them. Now, there can, there can never be another 12 apostles. There's a movement within the church right now. Uh, if, you, if, you kind of, if you kind of look, there's always been like the apostolic church. And then there's uh, something that came from the Toronto blessing. And then the three tiers of it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. But people, where people are just basically saying, hey, where are the, where are the apostles? The Mormon church says that they have 12 apostles. No, no. Twelve false apostles is what's going on there. Anyone who says they're, you know, in that is, I don't know what the world's going on there. But there were 12 original apostles, 13, and there were some others named in that early first generation century, century church. And there were certain things that had to happen in order to be an apostle, you had to see the resurrected Jesus Christ. Uh, you had to li- live under his teaching and his ministry and other things like that. And I'm not going to get into all that this morning. But apostle simply means ones who were sent by Jesus personally. That's why the apostle Paul was one who was sent personally by Jesus Christ to go into the world. He said, you're going to be my minister to the Gentiles. It's time for you to go, Paul. 
And Paul talks about himself, I think, in 1 Corinthians 11 or somewhere around there, where he says, I'm, I'm the least worthy of all the apostles because I persecuted the church. And yet, the grace of God really motivated him and moved him uh, to do amazing things. But up until this point, the disciples had just been hearers and learners. They had not transitioned to become those preachers and messengers. But he says that Jesus gave them the authority and the power. He called them. He gave them power and authority, and then he sent them. And that's interesting. He calls us as well out of the world. And this is kind of how the Lord works with us. He calls you and says, come out of the world. Come to me. And I will make you fishers of men, and we either respond or we don't to the call of God. The word of God is cast out on all types of heart, and either we allow it to take root and we respond to the gospel or we reject it and become hardened. But then there's a season when we receive the word of God of waiting upon the Lord and learning how to obey him and and to be about his kingdom and such. I remember when I came to the Lord, basically back to the Lord, so this was basically the first time for me because I hadn't been discipled. I hadn't learned anything. I'd said I loved Jesus. Yeah, but there was this immense period of just fruitlessness in my life. showed no evidence. But when I came back, there was a season where it was just, I didn't know anything. And I had a desire to go share and to do things, and God used me in very limited ways. But there was a time where He just had to change me. He had to change who I was and who I hung out with and what I did and what I watched, what I saw, all those types of things. And there was just a season of my mind being changed as the Holy Spirit began to take His Word and plant it in my heart, and, and I began to hunger and thirst for righteousness, and, and the life of the flesh started to fall off more, and the life of the Spirit started to come up, and, and I wanted to worship God. I wanted to serve Him more. I wanted to be around His people more. I wanted to evangelize. I wanted to do those things. I didn't know how to do it necessarily, but I was learning, and I would hang around other people who were actually living that out, and it influenced me greatly. I was being discipled. I was learning. I was learning. The Spirit was teaching me. I love that. But there came a place when, when the Lord just kind of said, you know, it's time for you to get going. And believe me, it's messy. You know, it isn't, isn't all smooth all the time, and you don't know what you're doing, and, and you start to okay, now I've got this. I think I've got the hang of it. There comes a place where you actually just step out in faith and start opening your mouth and sharing or, or going and, and serving the way that you're supposed to serve. You get those kind of gifts. You know what I mean? And it's just, you get over the awkwardness of it and you just start doing it and then you find out who you are in the context of, of faith, of following the Lord. And you find out, oh, that's definitely not my area that the Lord's called me to. And it's like, why do I love to do that weird thing? I never thought I'd love to clean toilets, you know, whatever it is. I, I constantly find myself doing stuff like that, you know, and, and you find out, I just have joy when I do this. And the Lord just, He sends you to serve and to be a part of the kingdom, but, but it's all centered, and I don't want to make the mistake to think that if we go and we simply just, just um, listen, the gospel is, is the centerpiece of all that Jesus did. It's everything he was about. He didn't just go and, and give people hot meals 
or cold meals, fish and loaves, right? But he ministered to them with the word. And he also didn't just minister to the, the word. He, he met their practical needs. And so those two things come together as God's goodwill towards people. It's the kingdom of God. It represents his heart and who he is. He not only just says things, but he actually does things. Amen. He only says that he cares. He shows that he cares. He only shows that he cares. He says that he cares. You know, those things match together and they represent the Lord. And so he calls us out of the world to a saving faith. And there's that season of waiting and learning on how to obey him and such. But then there's that time when Jesus wants to take what he has done in you and send you out into the world to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the exhortation to the churches, some of us have been disobedient in that area. And therefore, there's a field waiting for you that God has called you into that it's lying dormant. And you might look at that field and go, I'm not called to that. You are called to that. And the thing is, I look at that and I go, gosh, that is scary, that is big, that is against my personality or whatever it might be, and I say all these things. But look what he does. What God calls you to, he will empower you to do. He will give you his power and authority. Isn't that neat? God doesn't, like, you know, tell us to build a house with a rock Gives us power tools. Holy Spirit power tools. Don't quote me on that. But I'm just saying, <clears throat> pneumatics, I can get into the Greek. No. Uh, pneuma is the holy, word for the Holy Spirit. Never mind. Uh, geek out here. Um, but he gives you the spiritual tools in order to accomplish the spiritual things that he's called us to. Amen? He will equip you. He has equipped you to do what he's called you to do. And it's in your weakness he is made strong, not in your strength and in your gifts of, you know, what I can do. It's what I can't do and what Christ can do through this broken vessel that he might shine and people might recognize that's not him, that's him. Amen? And so we are to be sent into the world to proclaim Jesus Christ, which is that Man must repent and believe upon Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, and God will forgive them and give them eternal life. And where and how that looks is up to God in your life, but you and I were saved to be sent. We were saved to be sent into that field that God has called us to, whether it is at work or whether it is at school or college or home or in, 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 in the nursery or, or at church or wherever it might be that the Holy Spirit is saying, Go. So Jesus called the disciples to himself, and he gave them his power and authority. The reason I might spend so much time at the beginning recapping the power and authority of Jesus Christ is because the power and authority that the disciples had was not their own. It wasn't. And this power and authority seems to be different from what happens in Acts 2 in that this power and authority that we're reading about here for the apostles was to cast out demons, to heal the sick, and proclaim the kingdom. And then in Acts chapter 2, it says, wait, and you will receive power to be my witnesses. It just seems like it was progressive for those 12 guys. And I don't want to get into all this type of stuff 
quite right here, but Jesus gave the disciples, this is the point, the power and the authority to do what he had called them to do. And God will give you the power and the authority to do what he's called you to do. The definition of power is the word uh, dynamis in the Greek, which is where we get the word for dynamic. You know, the, the definition is inherit power, power residing in the thing by virtue of its nature, or which a person or thing exerts and put forth. There's power. When you look at that stick of dynamite, where we get that word dynamic from, within its nature, there is the potential for a great dynamic things to happen, right? The problem is, is that we are totally dead in empty sinners without any dynamic effect in the kingdom of God. But see, when His nature comes and takes over us, when we're born again and His Spirit comes now, and we now have the Holy Spirit, we have a new dynamic. We have the Holy Spirit within us, and He desires to empower us for the work that He's called us to do. Amen? How many of you need that dynamic power of the Holy Spirit? Let me tell you, if you've called and received Jesus Christ as Lord, you have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And now He wants to overflow your life as you surrender to His Word, as you're filled with His Word, and you ask daily, Lord, fill me and use me. And we see several times that the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered to then preach and do what God had called them to do. And then we read when Jesus says, How, if, you, if you're a good father and you've got you know, kids, are you going to give them a snake when they ask for bread and all this type of stuff? How much more will the, Holy, will the Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who what? Ask. Ask, seek, knock. Connected in that chapter to asking for the Holy Spirit. Now, we have the Holy Spirit, but that overflow, Lord, dominate me. Like, get rid of me. You're already in me. You can't... Just get me out of the way. Fill me up, so to speak. So there's that power. Jesus, by nature, has authority and power over sickness and demons. That's who he is. He just has it. Jesus gave the disciples that power. There was that dynamic power that they were given by Christ to accomplish God's will. Not only did Jesus give them that dynamic power, he also gave them authority, exousia in the Greek. Basically, Jesus gave them power and authority or the word for authority is jurisdiction. Have you ever watched some of those old, like, Dukes of Hazard or whatever like that? And there's always some silly robber, and they're, like, doing a chase, and they're headed towards the county line, and the cops are, like, chasing after him. They're almost get him, and then all of a sudden, they cross the county line, and the, and the robbers stop, and the cops on one side. There's just, like, there's no line there. But, the, you know, the, the, the robber gets out and looks at him and goes, ah, and, he, and the cop's like, ooh, you, you know, like... You're out of my jurisdiction. I don't have any power to go across that line. I can't do anything. And you know, it's like, just keep going. Come on, get him. But there was no, there's no jurisdiction. There's no power. His power is limited beyond that line. Jesus said, I'm giving you power and authority, jurisdiction over these areas. That's pretty cool. They didn't have power over anything to do anything. Jesus said, I'm giving you power and authority. Matthew 10 lets us know what the authority a little bit more expansively. In verse 7, it says, As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. 
Isn't that cool? Jesus said to his apostles. Now, in Luke, it just says demons and, and sickness. That's the general cat- categories. But Matthew gives us more detail. He says, listen, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. How did, how did they know the kingdom of heaven had come near? Well, heal the sick. People were sick and they had no power and authority to change it. And so they were given the power and authority from the king to heal sickness and to raise the dead. I don't know about you, but I, I've prayed for people who have died. They don't get up for some reason. I don't have power. I don't have the jurisdiction. I've prayed for people to be healed. I don't have that. Anybody? You just don't have enough faith. No, I just don't think I have jurisdiction. I trust God can do whatever He wants to do whenever and however He wants to. But heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse, the, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you've received. In other words, I've given this to you freely. Now go give it away. How many of us, when we're gifted by God, seem to, to kind of want to manage that? I'll use this gift here and there, but not to you and not over here. Jesus said, freely I gave it to you. Go give it away. It wasn't yours to begin with. The power and authority wasn't yours. Now go, go give it. Be liberal with it. Yes, you can be liberal with it. Go give it away. I love that. But that is basically what Jesus had been doing. He'd been driving out demons and curing diseases, cleansing people, raising the dead. And up until this point, they had been learning and watching Jesus, but now they were given the power and authority to do what they had been watching him do. And so it's interesting, you know, how he just raised this little girl, Jairus' daughter, in the last chapter, how he went in and there were mourners and he sent everybody out, right? Remember that? He says, get out. If I'm getting it mixed up, I'm sorry. He says, get out. Jesus said, get out, everybody. And then he, said, and he takes his hands, little girl, and says, how you doing, little girl? Get up and all that type of stuff. Well, you fast forward to Acts, and Peter's brought to Tabitha, and he gets in there, and what does he do to everybody? He says, get out. <laughs> Does everybody get out? Does everybody get out? Why did he tell them to get out? Because that's what Jesus did. And he does the same exact thing. Now, it's not the mantra. It's not the words. You can't buy the power. Jesus had given them power, and they went and did it his way. And what happened? They were raised from the dead. And so God had given them this power. And so once Jesus calls and empowered them, he sent them to proclaim the kingdom. They were those heralds that were to proclaim the kingdom of God, coming against the powers of darkness and the forces of darkness. And so the messengers of the kingdom were given the power and the authority of the king. And then Jesus gives them specific instructions. Verse 3, it told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. I don't know about you, but I would like, how many of you, when you go on vacation or go camping, you like take way too much stuff? We don't do that. But I'm just saying, how many of you would do that? You know, you have like 15 flashlights and all those things. You know, you just got the headlamp, you know, you've got MREs, you're ready to go. And Jesus says, yeah, I don't want you to bring anything for this journey. Now, Jesus actually, he changes this later, the night before Jesus was betrayed, right before he's going to die. On the cross, he's speaking with uh, Peter and the guys, and, and he says in Luke twenty two thirty six, Jesus, the night before he was betrayed, said, changed, he changed it. He just basically said, you're, you know, I told you not to bring anything. Now you're going to need to bring it because you're basically going to, you're going to, I'm not going to be present with you. 
and there's a different situation that's going to be happening. You're going to need to fend for yourselves in many respects. I'll be with you, but there's going to be a massive persecution because they, they hit the shepherd. What do you think they're going to do to the sheep? And that's exactly what happened. But for this time, they didn't need anything. Don't bring anything. Verse 4, whatever, your, whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And so as Jesus sent the disciples, they were the, there were those who would respond to the message of the gospel and offer hospitality to the disciples and provide for their needs and minister to them as they went. And as they went, there would also be those who would not welcome them nor listen to their words. Church, listen. There are going to be those who listen to you, and then there's going to be people who don't. There's going to be people who assist you, and then people who, who resist you. Amen? Expect it. Expect it. And as they went out, there were those who did not listen to them nor their words. And Jesus says in verse 5, you got to shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Now, Again, the feet were considered the dirtiest part of the body, so shaking your dust off your feet is like, I don't know, really bad in that culture. But it, it, it symbolized God's great displeasure with them and the pending judgment that was upon them. In Matthew 10, which gives, again, a little more insight into Jesus' instruction to the disciples, Jesus said in verses 14, 15, says, If anyone does not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake off the dust of your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Wow. Remember what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? Fire from heaven fell and consumed all of them. They all died by God's judgment of fire. Sodom and Gomorrah is a physical picture of a spiritual reality yet to come, the lake of fire. And he's saying the judgment that God will have on those who reject you, who reject the gospel, is going to be worse than those who experience the physical fire judgment from heaven on Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus said that if, if a home or a town rejected them in their message of the gospel, that home, that town was inviting the judgment of God upon them that would be worse than Sodom and Gomorrah experiences. Being a messenger of the good news of Jesus Christ is no joke. It's good news for a reason because Jesus saves. God saves. He has to save us from something. Amen? And to reject Jesus is to reject being saved. And the people reject us when we go out and we preach the gospel. When we give them the offer of peace from the King of kings and the Lord of lords, when we are his messengers, when we go out and give that message of the gospel to people, that that His only Son was sent to pay the debt of their rebellion. And if they reject us as we faithfully proclaim the good news, there's nothing but fiery judgment of God that awaits them. You know, all that we would be serious about obeying Jesus and devouring His Word, but also to respond to His command 
that Jesus has given to the church to take the good news across the street, to take the good news into our homes, into our workplace, into all these areas where the godless live. You are his representative. You are his herald, his messenger, his redeemed. Sometimes the learning is the learning time, not that we will always be learning, but you can be filled up with so much knowledge, you're no good. God wants us to do something about it. And if you're fearful about actually doing something about it, ask God for the power and the authority to do it. And you find out as you read Scripture, He has given you the power and authority. He says, all authority has been given to me. Now go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go. But I don't know how. Okay, well then stay in that little circle. No, God, say, say, I don't know how. How do I do this? Help. And then we start praying together. And we start obeying Jesus. And guess what? As we step out, He'll empower us to do what He's called us to do. And you're going to experience rejection. You're going to experience the world not liking the message. You're going to experience all these types of things. And then you're also going to experience those who actually are worthy and were called and and who have received the gospel of Jesus Christ and the joy of being a part of, of, of doing that and supporting that either through your voice or through your, 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 your actions. You know what I'm saying? There's different giftings and all that stuff. We work together. But how the Lord would use us as a body to reach the lost. Where do you work? That is your mission field. Open your mouth. Amen? But I can't. The government says, you have authority, overruled. You have jurisdiction. Amen? Don't let the fear come in. Embrace the persecution. Embrace the cross. Be willing to lose your job for Jesus. I think we, we think in terms of, of self-preservation and how can I finesse the kingdom. Look at Jesus. Look how he lived. Look how he taught. Look what he said. Look what he said to do. It's radically different than what, what we are kind of conditioned in this culture to do. We're, we're called to be bold and to be loving and kind. Look at He met people's needs, so there was obviously the love that was being demonstrated, but he made no bones about speaking the truth and love in situations at dinner parties. <laughs> I mean, at Pharisee's house, at church, wherever it was. No problem. Because when it's all said and done, it's not going to make a difference about your job. It's not going to make a difference about the house we have and all these types of things. We're headed to one of two places. Everyone you meet is headed to one or two places. And if you have life, you've freely been given it, you've got to freely give it. And that should be the burden, the heart of a regenerated Christian. I hope you're feeling the heat. I am. I told you when we had that gentleman of the road thing here, I was like, you know those, those, what are those, those tracks? You know, um, I got those because I felt like the Lord told me to go hand them out to people. And I'm not trying to make myself my own savior. I didn't want to do it. It's not like me to go hand out a track to people who don't want to listen to it. You're going, but you're the pastor, you're the preacher. I'm, no, I don't want to do that. 
I'm much more of a relational, conversational type person. But that's what was on my heart. Just go do it. Be obedient. I don't know what the fruit of it was. And it really wasn't so that if there wasn't results, then, then I'm in trouble. It's just obey. And so I went and handed it to people. People grabbed them and they threw them on the ground. I'm like, cool, someone's going to look at that and pick it up maybe. You know? I, I don't know. I just, it's okay to be a fool. And it was a good process for me to go, I am a fool for Jesus. I'm the only one doing this. I'm a nut craze. I know it. You know what I mean? Who cares? I love you, Lord. I love you more than what, I, what people think of me. That's a struggle for me. Anybody else have that? We need to be obedient, but God will also empower us as we go. It's not going to be easy. But in verse 6 says, so they sent out, they set out from, uh, and went from village to village and proclaimed the good news and healing people everywhere. You know, and I, I really don't want us to limit what God desires to do through us by our disobedience or our lack of faith or our fear of man. You know, there was nothing special about these men. There was nothing special. Jesus didn't look at them and go, oh, I'm headhunting and these are the guys I want because look at all their personal skills and all they got. You know, he just, he had to spend time breaking them down, <laughs> getting rid of themselves. He had zealots, they had tax collectors, they had fishermen. Tons of different personalities there. He just took them and emptied them and filled them. <clears throat> it was Christ who redeemed them. You know, it wasn't their money. It wasn't their cool clothes. It wasn't the electric guitars. It wasn't all the lights. It wasn't the building. It wasn't any of those things. They had nothing to go. It was Christ in them. And I think it's a good thing to be poor in spirit and say, Lord, I have no power over this. I have no way that I can reach this person. I, I've got nothing. But I know that you have all of that. And if you want to come and fill me today, fill me. Give me the heart. And just as I step out, Lord, use me. It was Christ who redeemed them. It was Christ who called them and taught them and trained them and empowered them and sent them and used them mightily for His glory in spite of them. <laughs> it was God in and through them. And this is an area where I need to grow, where we need to grow in dependence upon God. Dependence upon God. To stop looking at self and our limitations and say, Lord, you're big. Lord, I have nothing. You know, just ask Him for a fresh filling of His Holy Spirit before you begin to step out today. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, Lord, I heard what that guy said. I, I want to be empty with myself. Just, just fill me again. I have nothing you are everything. Fill me, use me, whenever, wherever, however you want. Just say, I surrender and use me today and go about your day and see what he does and see who you bump into and the opportunities and the opportunities missed and the lessons learned and all those things. 
Amen? And God will. And God did so much that this guy named King Herod was confused. And we'll, we'll stop there. He'd heard about what Jesus was, was doing. I mean, the, what God had done through those guys shook the foundations of society. And what God desires to do through our little humble church is not because we're little and humble. It's not because we're great or this. It's just because He is in us and through us. How many of you would, would say this morning that, Lord, I, I've, I need you to help me in the area of, of being a witness for you? I already shared that I do. Well, let's ask him. Ask, and then go do it. <laughs> go do it. Pray, ask, Lord, who do you want me to share? Is there anybody on your heart right now that you want to have come to the Lord, that you know that the Lord's kind of laid you out? Anybody have a person like that on your heart? Just one of you. Are you kidding me? Raise your hand. <laughs> you guys got people, right? You got people, right? Who do you think he's placed? Why are they on your head and why are they in your mind? See, God doesn't, like, he's not going to just, like, drop this giant banner and say, this is the one. That's how he works. Because I'll walk by that person and I won't care. But you're there and you do. Amen? And the obstacle to, to going and sharing your faith is you. And so let him fill you. He will, and use you, and be humble, and say, I don't know how to do it. I need help. Come ask. Come talk, and I'll give you a bunch of useless information mostly, but we'll walk through it together, amen? We'll walk through it. What is the gospel? I need to know what the gospel is. How do I present it? What happens when they reject me? What do I do then? We'll work through it. Lord God, Father, we come before you today. And we look at what you did to these men. And we're not the 12 apostles, but we are your kids and redeemed the same. And we have a place in your plan, in your kingdom, and it is all about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ through how we live and what we do and what we say. And Lord, there are people in our, in our blocks, in our minds, our families, our hearts that need to reach need to be reached. And, and Lord, there's an obstacle in the way of that happening. And we don't know if it's spiritual or personal or whatever it is, but Lord, would you, in our hearts, empower us with your Holy Spirit to be bold like Stephen and to go and to begin to either open our mouths or write a letter or send a link or whatever it is you've called us to do to go help them to display the love of God. Whatever it is you've called us to do to go funnel that person towards the kingdom and declare your kingdom to them. And God, I pray that we would not be ashamed of you before men. I pray that we would boldly stand for what we believe. And I pray that on that day that you would reward each one of these faithful servants, Lord, with rewards that they could not even imagine for their obedience now. And so God, we are weak, we are empty, we're unable 
but you are powerful and of all authority and all dominion. You've commanded us to go into all the world. And so, Lord, teach us as you are our great teacher. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us the words we need when we need it, God. Help us to be resistant towards persecution and, and, and to not grow weary in doing well. Help us to love deeply, Lord. And teach us as we walk through this world, Lord, you've placed us in, in each special area. Lord, we are your church. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. And so send this, Lord. Let us be your hands and feet and your arms and your legs and your mouth, Lord. And let's just love and proclaim that message of peace. And so we ask these things, which we know are your will, in the name and the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen.